P.S. I Love Hoffman is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey, Hoff fans. So you might have noticed that we do not have a film that we will be podcasting about this week. No, we kind of teased it last week, but we weren't, you know, exactly sure whether there was going to be this week or next week, but we're able to get it to you on time. And yes, uh, we just got back from Brooklyn and we had an awesome interview with legendary, really legendary, a director, filmmaker in general. Yeah, he might not be a household name, but he's incredibly important to the uh, just film uh, making in general and the film, the no way film movement. Yes, the godfather of that, if you will, probably, right? Yes, and that is this Amos Poe. Amos Poe, and we had a blast talking to him. You're really going to enjoy it. He relates to our podcast as he was the director of Philip Hoffman's first film, Triple Bogey on a Par 5 Hole. Yes, that, and he produced Joey Breaker, so that's the Triple Bogey, our first episode, and Joey Breaker, our fifth episode. Yeah, so you want to do back, do your homework, listen to those. It's, we're kind of new then. It's a little... uh. Yeah, enjoy us as rookies. Yes, enjoy our rookie year, enjoy struggling, and enjoy this episode. Iggy Top! Amen! Let it rain! I'm a fucking idiot! Red meat, we crave sustenance. I'm an artist. Hello, my name is Jimmy Puppy. Why don't you have some fun? Fun, fun. Tommy, that's a pain pain. Whoever she is, I'm gonna find her and I'm gonna hurt her. I've spent the past three years learning Finnish. <laughs> I'm always home. I'm on cool. This is a process of dehumanization. Shut, 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 shut up! Hi, Hoff fans. Welcome to this week's edition of the PSI Love Hoffman podcast, our love letter to the remarkable career of the late, great Philip Zimmer Hoffman. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And I'm Kyle Reinfried. We're always home. We're always on cool. We're always ready to talk great movies. Today, Kyle's a very, very special day. Yeah, I'm, I've been. This has been in the works for a little while, mm-hmm. and I'm really excited to say that we have a very special guest here, filmmaker Amos Poe. Thank you so much for being here. Legendary filmmaker, I might say. Well, I'm very happy to be here and be a part of your podcast. I love Phil. So do we. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, to give you guys a little bit of uh, backstory. Um, Amos directed the first feature film that Philip Seymour Hoffman was in, Triple Bogey, on a par five hole. And then you also produced the film Joey Breaker, mm-hmm. in which he acted in. Was there any other uh, collaborations with you guys? Or? No, I believe that was... I believe that's the only ones we did. So definitely listen to episode one. And what, what episode is Joey Breaker? Five. Episode five, five. Episode one and five. Listen back. We probably sound like idiots now. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say, I, I went back and, you know, pre- prepping for uh, mm-hmm. this episode and just listening to, I'll say at least myself on the first episode. First of all, I just want to apologize. I, I actually, I, I did, I do have a, a degree in filmmaking and mm-hmm. I even took an independent filmmaking class and I I wasn't aware of your accomplishments, and I even mispronounced your name on the first episode. What did, what did you pronounce it? I, I said pole at first. Oh, with an L. <laughs> not a mispronunciation. Well, no, I'm just, just mis- yeah, totally. Okay, so there we go. I'm even messing up right now. It's okay. It's okay. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least my gateway to your film work, and I think how once I brought it up, you agree, was Alphabet City. I mean, I had seen Yeah, that, that was something we both had seen mm come that episode uh i was actually introduced to that you know nowadays it's like a big thing for uh 
when a new film comes out for there to be comparison pieces mm-hmm. and alphabet city was a recommended to watch if you enjoyed uh nicholas winreffing's drive right 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 so uh definitely yeah. some 70s action stuff yeah, yeah. I had seen it because my family uh, grew up in the Lower East Side, and my grandfather still owns a supermarket in Alphabet City, so it was... I was oh, really? Yeah, I was super Whoa. curious. Uh, Avenue C, actually, it's a C-town. <laughs> oh, C-town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I'd always... My mother had always told me, like, stories about mm-hmm. what it was like growing up in the 80s mm-hmm. down there, and, I, you know, it's it, never something I really saw when I was a kid, barely, but... I mean, you go now and just mm-hmm. CBGB's a shoe store. Right. <laughs> John Barbato. Yeah, yeah. That's I knew it was some designer. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's how I started, I guess, watching Alphabet City, but I had mm-hmm. not done a deep dive into your films until we watched uh, Triple Bogey together. Right. Yeah, and even, I mean, you got back to it. We reached out to you, and you got back to us right away, mm-hmm. which was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> and... It was pretty cool because you even answered some things that we brought up in our episodes. Yeah, I watched uh, or I listened to your podcast. So. Thank you very. That's probably the biggest like piece yeah. of flattery I've ever received <laughs> in my life. <laughs> well, I, I was really taken by the fact that you guys would actually do a podcast about Phil, and I thought, well, let me listen to it at least. Yeah, and and. and well, thank you first of all for listening, and also for I guess bringing him to screen. Um, I mean, we might as well dive right in. Sure. How, how did that happen? Well, um, I had a friend who was a manager of actors and uh, who I'd worked with on several films, and she's, you know, a good friend. And I think from around Alphabet City, which is, I think, when I met Davy and Littlefield, um... Every film I'd done, not that many, I always used one of her clients. Um, and then, and and I like her, and she really knew up-and-coming actors that I wasn't aware of sometimes, but all the time. And she said, "You got to see this guy. I'm going. I th- I'm thinking I might sign him. Uh, I want to get your opinion." Oh, cool. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so. I said, yeah, I'll go with you. And we went down uh, town, I think it was at the home theater. It was um, a series of short one acts that a bunch of uh, actors were doing. Mm-hmm. And they were all kind of acting in each other's little pieces. And she said, well, his name is Phil Hoffman. Uh, so I want, I want you to see him. And the theme of the the one acts was racism. Mm-hmm. And so we're watching this thing, and, and you know, no, nothing is blowing me away. And it's a small stage, probably about 10 feet by about maybe 5 feet deep. Wow. Very small. And it's probably maybe... I don't know, 20, 30 seats. Okay. Very small. And we're sitting in like the second row. Mm-hmm. Center stage. And out comes this 
blonde-haired guy <laughs> with this blonde-haired actress. And the scene is, uh, they've just come out of a movie. Okay. It's an Eddie Murphy film. And Phil wrote this piece. Oh, cool. Wow. Cool. That's awesome. And acting it. And, he, and the, the dialogue goes something like this. He turns to the girlfriend, and they're like, you know, still eating popcorn. And he says, how'd you like the movie? And she goes, oh, man, I love the movie. And he looks at her and goes, oh, you did? Yeah, I love this movie. I love Eddie Murphy. He's so great. And he goes, you love Eddie Murphy? She goes, yeah, I mean, the guy's just the greatest. He's the greatest? <laughs> and you could feel the electricity happening. Oh, wow. yeah. Like she's in one world, he's in another yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. But you don't quite... What what's happening here? And he goes, "What do you love about Eddie Murphy?" She goes, "What do you mean? Isn't he the funniest guy you've ever seen? <laughs> I mean, the guy cracks me up. He cracks you up. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, he he totally just blows me away. He blows you away." <laughs> What is the matter with you? No, I'm just trying to get to, like, why you like Eddie Murphy. Well, everybody loves Eddie Murphy. What are you talking about? Well, I wouldn't say everybody loves Eddie Murphy. What is wrong with you? Well, I'm just wondering if... If you love Eddie Murphy because he's black. <laughs> what are you, are you talking about? I mean, do you love him because he's black and black men have big cocks and I have a small cock? Is that what you're talking oh, about? Because wow. if you do... And he starts going like on a... Tirade. Tirade. That's... They're just so insane. And it just starts from very low yeah, to yeah. like this incendiary... Like, and I, the girl who played yeah. it, who was also very good... She's like in such shock. She's trembling and tears are coming. Wow, wow. And the more she cries and the more vulnerable she is, the more he gets to yeah. the point where you think he's going to, you know, like verbally wow, yeah. kill her. Oh, wow. My God. And then maybe even physically kill her. And then he just walks off wow. and she's up on the stage trembling. Jeez, talk about like. Yeah, can't you picture that though? No, oh, I was, I was, I was yeah. here like. I was, like I, I was, I was hearing it, like, I, I was hearing his voice, you know, I was just even picturing, like, his voice from, like, your film, like, the earliest, like, known, like, you know, like, you know, he always had that great, I mean, just range, just in, I mean, as far as his acting, but there's just even, the, vo the vocal, the range, vocals, yeah. just, like, some of the mm -hmm. most, just, like, intimate, like, you know, soft-spoken, mm -hmm. but then when he gets to that mm -hmm. crescendo mm -hmm. in his ways, and I could just, oh, that's... Yeah, he tapped into, like... This character's insanity and anger and fear and hate and yeah uh, and you know sexuality in a way that was so organic and so uh, interiorly intense mm -hmm. and the whole audience it wasn't just me 
because I, I could feel a whole I was like whoa yeah. and you know and it was just sh- I don't even remember the rest of the plays uh-huh. because <laughs> wow. and I don't think anybody else did either yeah. because it was so intense that to follow that would have been like you know after Hiroshima and Nagasaki going with a BB gun <laughs> I can imagine it was like that volatile and so I just turned to David and I just said sign him and I gotta figure out a way to use him Absolutely. in this film and so then I wrote this little part yeah just cause I wanted it to be around him and then when we met him outside he was just like the nicest guy and <laughs> hey how you doing oh, that yeah. interesting. really nice to meet you yeah I'm like what the fuck what happened there Oh, yeah, no, I was just, you know, I was just mucking around, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. That's awesome. Uh, had you written Triple Bogey? You said you wrote the part for him. Had you written the screenplay before that? or? Yeah, Triple Bogey came about um, in a really weird way. I'd shot this home movie, Super 8. I hadn't used a Super 8 camera in so long. I just wanted to see if my camera still worked. and. Uh-huh. Um, the summer before I'd shot all this Super 8 footage, you know, these cartridges, and it was like six months later, I sent them in to be processed, I got them back, I didn't even look at them, actually many of them were under, over and underexposed, but, um, I was working with a producer who, um, uh, you know, I was writing stuff for him, and he said, um, or I, I looked at the Super 8 footage, and I wrote the script based on the Super 8 footage. So I, okay. I said, what if um, these three children, because I have three kids, 20 years later, and or 12 years later, and grown up, and their parents were gone, and they had to remember them. Mm-hmm. So that's how it came about. Okay. And and then this produ- producer I was working for, he had made like a big deal and made a lot of money. And I asked him if he would finance a small film of mine. He and, and I worked with this guy for many years, and nothing I ever wrote for him over a 20-year period ever got produced, except for a Triple Bogey because it was the only script that I wrote that he never read. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's kind of depressing. From yeah. A writer's yeah. point of view. <laughs> yeah. Really. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, but uh, so he he wrote me a check for $350,000, which was kind of like, whoa. Wow. Yeah. That's a nice. And then next week we started. Is that the biggest budget you ever. No, 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 no. You no, okay. no, can't imagine, right? Yeah. Because yeah. even Alphabet City. Alphabet City, at least. Yeah. It was like a million and. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, frogs for snakes was like two. Yeah, you said one of the great, um, like, aunt, when you just replied to us, one of the answers you gave to us when I brought up, I was like, oh, this guy probably had like a friend that had a yacht. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> and you just got back and you're like, no, it cost you know fifteen thousand for ten days. And I'm just like, ah. <laughs> you know, it's like right. one of the many things. That but I'm I just... mean, like the yacht, like, is awesome. I mean, yeah, just, like, yeah. The, just what just a great fact, premise. Yeah. So like you said, it's these mm-hmm. kids remembering their parents so they're just circling the island of manhattan right? mm-hmm. just like constantly yeah the idea was i love boats and i love all kinds of boats mm-hmm. 
yachts especially uh but uh, I like everything but uh I saw this one you know one yacht and it was you know in Manhattan and I asked if you know if I could use it and they told me well you know it's like a thousand a day or something it was more than that but yeah. for two weeks when we shot on it it was like 15 grand and uh That's incredible. so you know it was, it was I wrote it that way and I found the yacht and I and I really wanted to shoot in black and white 35 millimeter mm-hmm. and and then blow up the super 8 yeah to 35 to make it really grainy and see how it intercut color so the memory the past is in color yeah and the present is in black and white which I think is great I mean we even mentioned that yeah our first episode when we were just mm-hmm. What was that? I mean, the experience. I mean, I'm definitely really interested in like technical stuff like that. So, I mean, blowing the eight millimeter up to the 35, like what? What was it? What you were hoping for? I yeah, mean, it, look, it looked really neat. And again, like you said, that's in color. The rest is black and white 35 millimeter, which looks beautiful. I love mm. just even the opening shot on this boat. And mm. did you have something following, or was it a very wide angle lens that you had like a like a crane or like a jib that you're? Yeah, we had like we built like. Um, Literally like a two by four mm-hmm. that stuck out off the boat. Off the side, okay. Um, and we, you know, propped it up so that so that it could get a certain angle. The hard part was the DP had to climb out on it to set it and mm-hmm. hit it and climb back over. <laughs> and he could have fallen into the water. Yeah. <laughs> Especially back then, you want to fall into the East River. <laughs> right. Well, it was actually the Hudson. Yeah, the oh, that part was the Hudson? Yeah. I oh, think okay. so. I'm, no, actually, you're right. It was the East it was River. Right you go no, no, it was, it was yeah. the East oh, River. I, yeah. It, it seems like you're doing a going loop. Under the right. Well, the, yeah. Kind of right where we are right now. Like, we're off of... It seems area. like it's like a like this kind of motion, though, because you... I, you do see the city to the other side at some points. Yes, we, we yeah. cruised a bunch of different things. We went up, I think, as far as, like, a little past the George Washington Bridge, like Palisades. Oh, yeah, yeah we yeah. did see that, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it was yeah, that's later in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's such a pretty film. Yeah. So, obviously, it's just the one scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like, um, filming that? I mean, oh, did, man. did he bring what you expected from seeing that um that showcase yeah, a, or whatever. Yeah, he plays the character of Clutch, so he's a friend of the... Yeah, he's friend of the main character, um, you know, one of the main characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I wish I had written more stuff um, in retrospect, but there was, you know, it was already so thick with dialogue and all this stuff that um, I just didn't want to add more. Mm-hmm. Um... I was hoping to do some other stuff with him that was more, you know, w- where there was no talking, um, but it didn't seem to transpire. But uh, yeah, no, I wrote that scene. I just said, okay, you're playing his best friend. Um, you know, you're kind of like, you know, sort of posers, <laughs> and. And then just Phil said, uh, is there anything you'd like me to add to it? And um, I just said, uh, well, give it a little, you know, Jack Nicholson (laughs) 
twist. Right. And if you listen to it, he's mimicking Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Well, definitely. That's that's uh, super cool. And yeah. So he so I assume everything went out without a hitch with him. Yeah, I think it took two takes and probably like two hours to shoot. Um, yeah, it was you know Phil was a joy. Um, you know. It's one of the things you go, man, I wish I would have done more with him. Yeah, even, I know, I mean, we're obviously looking with a, a different lens because we know him and we know the actor he became, but even mm. watching it, you're, you want more from his character. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's just, he, he really commands that uh, screen. Yeah, and he blows any other actors, uh, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the scenes. You have to be uh, an actor, and he brings the other actors up a notch. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've definitely seen that. Yes. I said, well, I, I, again, listening to like the first, going back and listening mm. to the episode, we, the name we recognized most from that film, and then I learned that he was you uh, worked with him multiple times, which was Robbie Coltrane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was like, you know, someone I recognized from the film. As far as I yeah, he was the only other really recognizable actor in the film. And then you worked with Eric Mitchell before in The mm-hmm. Foreigner, who's mm-hmm. the... And Unmade Beds, yeah. Okay. So he's, he Eric, a lot plays in some of my films sort of like a doppelganger to me oh yeah oh mm-hmm. i see yeah i got a little joy out of uh the last film that we uh covered was 25th hour spike lee film mm-hmm. and it's kind of awesome because uh and in the character of clutch he's talking and be, you know being interviewed and he's like oh who do you think will you know like play him in the movie because mm-hmm. the book and he goes i don't know someone cool like spike lee so that just was mm-hmm. a very little <laughs> right, <inside>. right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I, I, you know, again, I mean, it's going back to his, like, he's standing there wearing a bandana. Like, I see it, like, you're mm-hmm. saying, like, oh, they're kind of posers. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just a really fun. They're playing pool. It's just a very... Yeah, playing pool on a on a boat and using the the boat's rocking to get the balls in. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot, that was like, a, you know, getting the pool table onto the boat was hard and off because it was so heavy, but... Yeah, it was cool. What? And what, I'm sorry, I'm trying to look at this. But what year did you shoot Triple Bogey? I believe it was the summer of 90. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And I think it came out like 91, maybe. Yeah, that's what we had down. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 91. And then, so we were always, and again, the law, whole law and order thing, like he was, mm-hmm. yeah, that was his first supposedly right. on screen appearance. And so that was like 91 as well. So we were like, oh, you know, I mean, you mm-hmm. never know. Also, if like, if it showed it. A festival versus when it was released. Right. Um, I think the first festival it showed in might have been Berlin. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, if I recall. Um, I don't remember exactly. My other question, I guess, about that is, so when you were working with Phil, was, mm-hmm. was that actually his first film? Because we, there's a little ambiguity in his early career. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you even know? Because there's that Polish film that we ended up oh, finding. Yeah. I don't oh, know yeah? if you know of this. It's called uh, <laughs> Schuller. Schuller. And it's mm-hmm. really interesting. So <laughs> yeah, I Kyle forget what episode. Was, yeah, I forget what in what order we put it mm-hmm. in as far as our episode release. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's, I think it. it's I think it said ninety four, but it was filmed a while ago. So it takes place in Poland. It's about like what time of like <laughs> Poland is it? Seventeen like, hundreds. Uh, yeah, like yeah, time Whoa. of plague and stuff like that. <laughs> and so it's a it takes place in Poland. It has Polish actors, but they're all speaking English. And then you've got you know, hmm. Philip Seymour Hoffman like speaking as you know in his normal mm-hmm. voice and yeah we had, we had to like watch this on like a polish 
Yeah, website. oh, and that was with, the, with and the most interesting thing and... about it was that there was a Polish dub, but only one voice, like a man's voice. Mm-hmm. But Dubbing underneath, everything. but yeah. <laughs> it was over them speaking, so you kind of heard like, mm. a little bit of like. The... And no one knows anything about this film. Yeah. It's it's crazy almost. Like... Well, David would probably know. Um. But I have a feeling it was after Triple Bogey. Mm-hmm. I mean, not... from the way you're saying the story, I think it must have been. I'm not, you know, I'm not dead sure. Um, I'd say it was definitely before Joey Breaker. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Probably. Oh, you mean the Polish film? Yeah, the yeah, Polish, Polish film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Never we'll, remember we'll, him coming back and being like, oh, it's such a great time in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we're still being detectives on that one. We'll still mm. have to track that one. Yeah, I would love to watch a... Because uh, even it seemed like there wasn't the full version. Yeah, yeah. But that one was Unfortunately, tough. Unfortunately, with his mm. earlier work, it's tough to... Right. You know, so we saw Triple Bogey on YouTube. I hope that's okay. We yeah, sure. It looks great on film. I saw it just a couple of years ago for the first time really? since it came out. Um, I forgot where, but I saw a 35 print of it, and it, it looked really good. Yeah, Boy, And it sounds really good. If you ever get word again, please let us know. Yeah, yeah. please. <laughs> please, would that would be awesome. We'd love to see that. Definitely promote um, that, too, because I'm sure people yeah. would love to see that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll see if I can... If I can find my 35 print I think it's in storage but I may have a screening of it at the Roxy a cinema over um, you know downtown yeah let us know definitely yeah. Yeah, please <laughs> we will be there <laughs> um, but yeah no it was you know so um, you know so that what happened was was that my agent Steve Starr oh that's, that was going to be another <laughs> question of mine, because then he oh, yeah. and directed Joey Brown. Right. Okay. So, Steve, who I love and adore, and who's uh, been a great friend and godfather to my son, wow. uh, was my agent at the time, but he was kind of like burning out, I would mm-hmm. say, a little bit. And around that time, you know... I was like, what am I going to do? I I love Steve, but he's really screwing up. So I made an appointment to come to his office, and I was basically going to say, I have to go work with somebody else. But before I could say that, he said, close the door. Uh, close the door. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and he started into a whole thing about how much, you know, he loved triple bogey and how unhappy he was with his job and he wanted to leave being an agent and I, I went oh so now I felt like I'm off the hook yeah, yeah. Okay. I was gonna say yeah, that's, that's, you know, like sounds I like a Larry re- Davidson <laughs> yeah it was it was exactly it was a Kirby <laughs> it was like oh so I didn't have to say anything so I was so relieved I just went oh oh what are you gonna do yeah he goes well that's a thing I said, that's what thing? Because I could immediately yeah. <laughs> feel the change in energy. And he said, I want to do what you do. And I went, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh-huh. He goes, I want to write and direct a movie. Wow. And I went, so, you know, one part of me was like, I'm his friend, so I'm going to be supportive. Sure. But on the other hand, 
you you know you don't just go from a really great job at William Morris to you know want to make independent film. Just it's like crazy. Yeah, yeah. So I went. Uh, well, Steve, you know, I'm really supportive of anything you want to do, but I think that's kind of crazy. And you know, and he said, "Well, I'm glad you're supportive, because here's what I want to do. I have a story in my head." And I want you to produce it. Wow. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh boy. This is worse than anything <laughs> I can imagine. And um, I said, well, you, you think about what you want to do, and if there's anything I can do to help, um, yeah. <laughs> I will. But I really want you to think about this because, you know, you're not exactly a great reader or literary minded mm -hmm. which takes away the writing part and yeah. you're not exactly a visual person <laughs> which takes away the directing part mm -hmm. so uh, you know consider this so it was right around the time of uh it was in the spring it was right around the time of the oscars and it was my kids were about to go out of school for spring break so my wife and i were going to go down Actually, my wife and I were going to go down for a romantic holiday in, um, like, uh, St. Uh, Lucia. Mm. And my sister-in-law was going to watch my kids. Then, at the last minute, she couldn't, so we had to take the kids down. Okay. So now, there was a, we, we got this, you know, really neat cottage by the sea, and we were just going to frolic for, you know, ten days or something. And Steve called and said, what are you going to do? And I, and I said, oh, I'll go down to St. Lucia. And he goes, well, I may come down with you. I go, <laughs> so now this romantic rendezvous became a family. Yeah, the family <laughs> now <laughs> became like, Business and my wife well. was not happy about it. <laughs> Your agent is coming? What the fuck? <laughs> That's what every wife wants to hear. From yeah. <laughs> I said, well, he may not. And Steve's thing was, either I'm going to come to St. Lucia and become a filmmaker, or I'm going to go to the... Academy Awards, which is my job, and means I'm going to stay in William Morris. Uh -huh. And we got down there, and like, he's sitting on the sofa. You know, <laughs> we're sitting on the, you know, having a really nice time, and you know, the following afternoon, you see this jeep driving, and it's Steve honking his horn. Hey! <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh my goodness! Oh, <laughs> and my wife is like, I'm filing for a divorce. Um, <laughs> And then he hung out there and came up with Joey Breaker, basically. Yeah, we were wondering. Sense, I mean, we, yeah. we kind of, you know, again, when there wasn't a lot of information, you know, as far as reading articles and you go on mm -hmm. Wikipedia and you try and not even, obviously, everything on that there, mm -hmm. there is true. But, you know, we, we assume things time to time, and so we, like, it's, you're kind of confirming it's semi-autobiographical mm -hmm. as far as right. his life, because that was the other thing, then going on IMDb, that was, like, the only thing he had ever, right. like, you know. Yeah, which we found in very interesting. Um, yeah, because we ended up, you found online a, well, what version again was it? I want to say it, it was it, a, it was It said a screening copy. Yeah, screening copy. So of that the, was really? very of difficult for us to find. It was yeah, only it's a, a screening VHS. To find. And um, I can't remember who eventually bought it. I think it was like Col 
I mean, was Columbia involved somehow? I've tried, I'm trying to picture the, mm, the studio. I don't know. Yeah, it, w- it was... TriStar? Oh. It might be. It was... I don't know. Somebody eventually, I think, bought it. But, yeah, Steve um, was also very close to um, the Marley family. Ah, uh, there we go. And represented the uh, Bar Marley estate. Uh, well, so now, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We're like, daughter, oh, he got all the songs, right, and he's got his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, there's all the songs, and then it's right. Bob Marley's. So he was able to get the music yeah. for Nixon Nothing. Which and is awesome. He knew Sadella really well. And mm-hmm. so, uh, and, you know, he just loved Sadella, and so cast her in it. Now, did you bring. Phil and Richard Edson yeah. into the mix because I mean yeah so my job was to try to help him cast it mm-hmm. one of my jobs try to help him you know organize the script a little bit and yeah how how hands on you know there's producers out there that are you know kind of in the background just like over how hands on of a producer are you? well it's um it's difficult when you're the friend and. You know, you, you know, you you want the writer director to get his vision, mm-hmm. but you also, from your own experience, want to help him avoid some of the pitfalls mm-hmm. of a first-time director. Um, so I think, you know, I think I was medium hands-on. But uh, I helped a lot with, I think, this, you know, like, the the casting. So, um, I, I always liked Richard Edson, yeah. and uh, I'd actually wanted to cast him in another film I made and ended up casting Kevin Spacey. Uh, oh, in... Uh, in Rocket. Gibral- mm-hmm. Gibraltar? Okay. Interesting. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you had known Richard Edson since, like, the 70s, because yeah. I mean, he was also in Jim Jarmusch's right. A Peer of Yours in right. Str- Stranger in the Paradise. Right. And so I knew him from, you know, yeah, the early 80s uh, from Stranger in that time. And, you know, knew him around town and mm-hmm. uh, just kind of liked his je ne sais quoi, you know, his <laughs> whole vibe. And um, thought that he would be a good, um, not the obvious choice mm-hmm. for a Joey Breaker, but somebody who could uh, who could bring something to it that was a little different. And um, and then Phil, obviously, like he was the next one. Awesome. Um, and then uh, Gina Gershon, who's a friend. Um, yeah, the film has quite the cast. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of not a bad cast. It's actually pretty good. Uh, and then Michael Imperioli. Yeah, Michael Imperioli. Yeah, he's super young. It's um, yes. <laughs> who's got a very funny, very funny part of the NYU student who's very ambitious. Yeah, they're all very, not like, thinking, you know, recalling it it's very dynamic actors like in the mm-hmm. they all bring something different to the table they all have in my opinion mm-hmm. interesting like physical looks to them mm-hmm. and it was just i mean it was really i we both really enjoyed the relationship between joey breaker so richard edson's character and then 
Wiley mm. McCall that was, we've done like through the episodes. It's like, ooh, what's our favorite character? Mm. Like, you know, character name of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Wiley McCall is just like that's just like a fun. <laughs> and I, we love that right. it's like handed over to him at the end of the film. Like he's mm-hmm. you know, you know, I don't know. yeah. Yeah. I see that film almost. I want to see him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, definitely. You know, Phil is such a good comic actor. Yeah. As well as dramatic actor. His range is, you know, superb, and he's very intelligent, so he can really delve into, like, the nuances of not only your script and your method of working, and he can fill in the gaps and find the gaps which is I think half of it um, and you see him in every role that he plays kind of you know like really make everything work mm-hmm. I think uh, until he gets to like a true Capote movie where he just inhabits yeah then he just he's you know the lead mm-hmm yeah, he's definitely, for most of his career, like a jail guy. Yeah, like he's definitely, I mean, he's, for a while he was part of like larger like ensemble movies mm-hmm. from even mm-hmm. Twister to Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. And then you see him kind of like, then he's like in a bigger movie. But then he goes back for like a little bit. I mean, he's definitely, we've said it for a while, he was an actor that paid his dues. So, again, I mean, I don't know if we ever explained this to you, maybe like in the first mm. email we sent to you, we're part of... Uh, uh, it was called the Cage Club Network, and a friend of mine from college, he co-started it, and they did all Nicolas Cage films, mm-hmm. and they moved on, did all Keanu films, and so the big difference, you know, Nicolas Cage, I love him, fantastic, mm-hmm. he's on, actually on the cover of my laptop, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, but he's someone that, like, right from the get-go, he was starring in films, and not, right. like, you know. Yeah, what drew us really to Phil Smirhoffman was just how he paid his dues in terms of... Who? Philip Smirhoffman. Oh, Phil. Yeah, how he just, paid his dues. I'm not sure if it... Yeah, I mean, there's one way to look at it is paying his dues. At least from our angle. Uh, yeah. The other way is, you know, he just really liked to work, and he yeah. did see himself to some extent as a character actor, although I think he doesn't see it in any kind of negative or paying my dues way. Mm. It's just like, okay. how much can I sink my teeth into this thing? Oh, okay. Which is I mean, which I mean, yeah, definitely that's... also makes sense then if you look at it because for so many years mm-hmm. th- through his entire career, he's in two or even three movies. Like there was, you know, episodes that we were like, "Yep, okay, 1994, 1994, 1994," and then mm-hmm. yeah, he was really movies. prolific. And then maybe one year there wasn't anything, but then the next year he had three movies, mm-hmm. and he was just yeah. Yeah, he, like... he he, you know, I mean, he was whatever it is that actors need to be you know, on that level, he had from the get-go. All it really took was for a director to see that and know how to access it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was the material that did it for you. And sometimes, you know, it was a combination. That's great hearing just from another director because that's like one of my favorite things early on is reading how uh, P.T. Anderson, which ended Mm -hmm. up being his you know, the director he collaborated with the most mm-hmm. saw him in Scent of a Woman and talk mm. about, like, I don't, like, off the top of my head, I don't know what, mm-hmm. possibly what role of a P.T. Anderson film would mm-hmm. compare to his role in Scent of a Woman, but he saw that and went, oh, I want to put him into Hard Eight and then I want to put him into Boogie mm-hmm. Nights. Mm-hmm. And, but that's just like... Yeah, he's definitely someone 
that you want to put into like you know basically every movie you 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 do um uh there was a movie i made in um in 98 i think called frogs for snakes and i wanted him in there too um and i think he would have done it but at the end i ended up using justin thoreau oh wow, oh, wow. Okay. um but phil you know i think phil could have you know could portray anything i loved the i loved him i mean obviously the in paul and thomas anderson's films he's like exceptional you know he's an exceptional director um Although he wasn't in There Will Be Blood. No, which no. is something that, you know, if you get to interview mm. P.T. Anderson someday, uh, <laughs> I would ask him because that's like, I feel like he would fit right the, into that. There's no role really for him yeah. there, probably. Although the preacher guy, maybe. Yeah. But um, the one he did, what's it called? The one he did with uh, Sidney Lumet, the last oh, film of um, Sidney's. Yeah, and Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Brothers, yeah. Oh God, a family yeah, drama. Right uh, Before the devil knows you're dead. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes, that's right. Holy awesome. moly! Between yeah. them and um, he, he's married to Marissa Tomei in that mm-hmm. movie. That is just, I mean, that's a very underrated film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can't wait to get to that one. Yeah, that's like much later. <laughs> much later in his career. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know. Um, know he was really good in all of them he was what's the one what's it called the one he did with john patrick shanley and um what's that really good actress (laughs) (laughs) what's it what's it about sometimes the he plays a priest oh Oh, doubt doubt Doubt, of course yeah (laughs) that really good actress what's her name Amy Adams. Amy Adams and Meryl, Meryl Streep. Street. <laughs> <Street. laughs> uh, they were both older. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're really good and, actors. And, and, and Viola Davis is in that as well. Yeah, right? she yeah. That was all... She she's almost steals that movie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Which is hard to do for Meryl Streep and Phil Hoffman. Yeah, yeah wow. the scenes between them is some of the most, like, cringe... Like, Gosh. I mean, in a good way, but you're watching that, and I'm just like... Makes me so tense. <laughs> absolutely, like, absolutely. Like, just you're like, ah, oh, she's good. Oh, yeah, I'm all full time. I remember yeah, running into Phil on the street several times when he was doing Doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, right before he he was trying to decide between Doubt and staying in the city and shooting, because I think his wife was pregnant at the time and going to somewhere on location somewhere. He goes, well, I could. I don't know, should I stay in town and do the Shanley film or get out of town and make a lot of money? And the next time I saw him, I said, so what What was it? He goes, well, I'm here, right? <laughs> and I said, yeah, so you decided to do Shanley's? He goes, sure, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing some rehearsals and I'm, I'm really nervous. And it, Phil's never really nervous. And I'm like, what are you nervous about? And he goes, street. Oh yeah, she's killing me. Wow. Oh, that's that's <laughs> just. And uh, I think Mer- Meryl was really probably fucking with his head a lot. Yeah, I mean she's just <laughs> she's so good. Yeah, that's amazing. That is so amazing. So I mean, from that story, is he a guy you ran into from time to time? Though? Oh yeah, I would run into him very often. That's awesome. Well, um, as far as 
him again, like it just sounds like he was a very you know like communicative, oh yeah, col- like collaborator. I mean, what just like as far as him, what would you say like was his? Was there like a practice to him as far as like his style of acting? Like, I mean, you know, you, you, again, like um, char- like you would say like a character actor, but I, I mean, it's a hard, yeah, character acting is hard to. to consider these days I mean back in the you know 40s 50s you know when there was a studio system you could say these are movie stars these are character actors sure then there was the overflow from the method you know so De Niro or Pacino or Hoffman or you know they they were character actors who became movie stars Mm -hmm. so I think that kind of is a hard one to define no, I think Phil's thing was how <clears throat> basically sincere he was about his approach to things mm-hmm. and then combine that with his passion and his energy level. Uh, that was something that you don't see very often because he... You know, the thing that he lacked in a certain way that sometimes gets in the way of some other actors is he didn't have a vanity. Mm-hmm. Like, he would do anything for that character. You know? It's definitely yeah. something you... At, um, at least that translates to us as the viewers. Someone who doesn't even know him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just from watching his films, I think we, you know, we've come to understand it a little bit better. But I think that's just naturally. If, if even people aren't thinking that, that's mm-hmm. what does attract them to his performances. Like some actors will play a lot of irony, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas I think Phil's strength was sincerity, mm-hmm. um, which is I think what he does a lot in, in P.T. Anderson's films. Yeah, I mean, he plays a lot of like vulnerable characters yeah that's or something happiness uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a... um i mean just even on another film we covered recently was uh red dragon the prequel to sons of the mm-hmm. lambs a thing i read was that brett ratner in an interview said how anthony hopkins contacted him on a day a day off and said oh can i come to set like when he when anthony hopkins wasn't working that day and he thought something was wrong and he explained to him no i just want to watch I saw that you know mm. Phil, Phil was in this movie, and I just want to watch him work. And I'm like, oh. and and then, and then he told Phil after it, so he mm. was nervous, and he's like, wow, that's like one of the biggest compliments you could get. And again, mm-hmm. just that level of Anthony Hopkins and Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. He worked with Robert De Niro in Flawless. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is just like at least for me, I'm, I'm probably speaking for you as well, but this is just something great to hear because this all this stuff we get is just like secondhand stuff. You're someone who actually like knew him. <laughs> and, and and just the f- yeah, just for that to also be communicated is just something that's like I don't know, exciting for me. Yeah, exactly. Like there's, it's not necessarily like a level of uh, like that. There was a level of mysteries, and it also in, when it comes to films or anyone in pop culture, and especially today's world, like the more mm. films we see of him, you get the special features, and you get mm-hmm. like a little bit more of a vibe. But it's just great to hear someone mm-hmm. like confirm just what we almost you know like hope that he was as an actor and as an artist and mm-hmm. yeah he was um you know consummate um you know um 
experiencer of life, I think, um, you know, um, you know, he, you could talk to him about movies, you could talk to him about family, kids, you know, he had a very, you know, w wide ranging, I would say, um, interests if you, you know, ran each other at the coffee shop and, you know, just sat down, you mm -hmm. could, you know, I mean, um, it's, you know, it's just sad that you know how how it ended. Mm -hmm. It was such a rapid drop. Um, do you recall the last time you spoke or saw him? Or? Yeah, I saw him like about f four days, I think, before he passed wow. away. Wow. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think I was kind of angry with him. Um because he was in bad state. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought he needed to get some help. Gotcha. So, he, so you could tell then. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I That's mean, I, I'd been, I'd been there myself. Gotcha. I had like four years between seventy nine, eighty three, where I was like, you know an addict basically yeah i mean he was through just reading and interviews um he he was very candid with his abuse that he said like when he was in college whatever he could get his hands on you know mm -hmm. like he did everything and anything and then you know unfortunately once he passed we learned that he you know yeah started using again and right uh I mean, even look like we were guys again who didn't know him. I remember the pit in my stomach of learning that. Yeah, I know exactly. Just, I know exactly you know, where and, it's and it feels a little selfish because yeah. we didn't know him on a personal level, but it was also mm. like one of these things. Where I think it's it five years ago this February. I know it was February. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, that's the problem of that disease. Uh, it's always uh, you could be clean for a long time, but you know what they say in in the programs is you're further down the road. But you're just as close to the ditch. Yeah. That's and um, tough. yeah. Um, anyway, it's just kind of sad. But you know, the great thing is he did leave a tremendous legacy of pictures. Yeah, I mean, just and uh, and I don't know if I've seen his. I mean, there's the quality of his films is like you know all over. Yeah. But um, I don't know if I've ever seen him give a bad performance. That's something that we constantly. I mean, if you can remind me of a bad performance, no, we haven't we I haven't mean, seen it yet. No, we have not. seen We it haven't yet. seen everything it's, yet, but we have not seen. No, it No, there's a few like you know like films where it's just like you know like all right, but mm -hmm. as far as his performance, that's always yeah. what he what he brings to it is just tremendous. Whether it's mm -hmm. uh you know the one minute scene that he was in triple bogey mm -hmm. or i mean just again like red dragons a little later on but he was just in that and shared a great scene with uh ray fines again it's mm -hmm. red dragon prequel to one of the greatest films mm -hmm. of all time sons of the lambs right so you know you, again we talked <laughs> yeah. in that episode there's gonna be you know you can't compare <laughs> mm -hmm. but ray fines fantastic actor right. so just and there like, was two red dragons right because there was an earlier yeah and then there's the, the one, one directed by michael mann called manhunter manhunter, manhunter. manhunter. Yeah. yeah which i think is interesting yeah, it's. I always forget the guy's name. He was like in the original CSI. That's like the head of that movie. But oh, then oh, Brian so. Cox plays the Hannibal character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Well, well, there's a film Kyle and I always cite, and it's super random because it was a TV film. And we always see Phyllis Hoffman as kind of like he does a lot of New York roles or mm-hmm. roles that take place in New York, which yeah. obviously we love. But what's the um the the film where the he, Yearling? The Yearling, yes. It's, it's just like an adaptation of, of Disney, yeah, well, or no, I don't no, even no, know if what's it's the Disney. F- it was a it was a pul- Pulitzer winning author, yeah. right? Yes, it's, it's a book, but yes, it, it, he did like a made-for-TV movie earlier mm-hmm. in his career, and it which was, also was a remake. They made the movie. Yes, they yeah, made it, it's a remake. You're right. Yeah, someone like on the, on the scale of like Gregory Peck or something. Back in the <laughs> yeah, day. I think it was like Alan Ladd, maybe or something. I, I forgot it, but, but you're right. Yeah, it was. A, there was a yearling earlier on in the '40s or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and this was something. That was, to, it was hard to find. Yeah, too. it was hard to find, and we decided mm-hmm. like, okay, like that. You know, like we will we'll do an episode on that because again, like as we. Mm-hmm. From telling you, and then on our first episode, we were saying we we're going to focus on feature films. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that was a feature film, but yeah, it was a TV, TV one. And but we were just so pleasantly surprised. Just, I mean, from yeah, the we had, from we had the very film, low expectations. but again, just like <laughs> him in that movie. Yeah, he he he's plays as just like a country bumpkin in the swamps of Florida, and mm-hmm. he he brings it, which is mm-hmm. especially when we were the movies we were seeing then, where he wasn't really playing those kind of characters, and mm-hmm. yeah. we were just so pleasantly surprised. And we're like, can this guy like? Does he have a bad performance? And we've yet to find it. Yeah. Well, that's because he was also, you know, really good on stage and in front of a camera. You know, that's another thing that, you know, to go between theater and film. Yeah. And he, you know, I think he was so natural in front of a camera or, or, or worked so well. But occasionally he would say stuff like, no, no, no. I, I I prefer directing theater. I I, I would just direct theater uh, if I could. Did you ever discuss with him because he directed one film, Jack Goes Boating, which is based on? Yeah, I know. I don't even know if I've seen that. It's a great performance, and mm-hmm. I mean, I think a very well done film. Uh, who's it? Else is in it? It's I'm blanking on. I haven't right seen now. it actually. It's one I'm looking for. I forget to the la- the Latina actors. That's that's in that. Uh, who's <laughs> okay. the, oh, who's Who's, who's, his, who's his love interest? Don't look it up. But Google it's just, it. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, mm. I mean, so that was his, you know, one time that he directed, mm-hmm. you know, feature film. But we knew that he, so again, it was Labyrinth was his theater company, mm-hmm. and that was always something that was shared. He also did. We covered in us uh, when we did an episode on dubbing his the first act. Was of it his Amy career. Ryan as the lead? Is that the one? Jacko's boating. It, yeah. That's that's it from uh, the office. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. This is John Ryan. Ortiz, Amy Ryan, yeah, Daphne, John, yeah. Daphne Rubin Vega. Yeah, that's who you think. It's John that. John mm-hmm. Ortiz is who I'm thinking. Of, of, of. Oh oh, you said Latina. Sorry. I said, no, I said, oh, it's <laughs> oh yeah, and John Ortiz is in his theater company yes. library. Oh okay, that makes sense. And then we I also like what was the name of the? It was that uh, um, for Bravo, and we covered it. it was the Shakespeare. Was Hamlet right? Fifteen minute. Yeah, Hamlet, fifteen minute Hamlet. He which did. was mm-hmm. a performance he did on TV, and that was directed by a friend of his. We always forget his name, but he's the one that he's also in like High Fidelity. Well, we're really forgetting our. Yeah, we're forgetting. But I mean, but, yeah, I mean, there there is definitely from just if you're not like I mean, I don't know much about theater, but mm-hmm. even if you are just watched his films and his TV mm-hmm. point being, he did bring that theater aspect to well, it. Well, he, he just understood it. He just knew it intu- intuitively and, yeah. um, you know, um, he just loved that stuff. And he was so good at it. So yeah. you could see the, you know, that's I think what his, as far as I can tell, he's, he's 
his intelligence and his passion, his intensity. In fact, on Joey Breaker, you know, because Steve didn't have any experience working with actors, he was really intimidated. Mm -hmm. And I think the first time I remember, we had this little set built, which was the office of, or maybe it was an office of uh, the agency. And it was the first time Phil did a scene, and <laughs> it's like, you know, take one. Uh -huh. And Phil is just like, you know, and the camera was a little too close, too. But anyway, he does this take, and it's just so strong. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like back there, and Steve was like, "Yeah, I think that was good." Oh, uh, yeah, and, and I'm like, <laughs> and Phil comes over and he goes, "That sucked, right?" <laughs> I go, "Phil, that was so large. Like, there's no way to go once you do that. Like, because he, he was so Just animated, and animated, pent up energy. Like, yeah, energy. I go, you know." Dial it down, you know. That's funny. Do you and recall, and do you the next recall? next take, he was like, yeah. like you know, instead of like that, the whole tone of it was simmering and yeah. kind of. Which he's so coming. good at, just that like almost like like a better mo like monotone, like you know. Yeah. He he still couldn't help physically exuding it, but he brought his whole volume down like. You know, if you if you start off at like nine, you have nowhere to go. But if you start off at three, mm -hmm. you can bring it up. But if you start at nine, yeah, you actually you briefly when we were talking about Triple Bogey, and I don't know if it was you were saying you wanted him more in that or wanted to work on something else with him, but you're you kind of tapped into that whole, like you said something with less dialogue because he is a great mm -hmm. just visual. Like, he doesn't have to say anything, and you get mm -hmm. everything from him, from his hand gestures mm -hmm. to just, like, the smirk he gives. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not talking, but he just, like, that laugh of his is very... Yeah, I always... I'd written um, a two-person thing. It was almost like a play, actually. And it was about, uh, like, an FBI agent and a cop, like, a up in Maine like a local cop and a Washington, D.C.-based FBI agent who are on a stakeout. Okay. And they're staking out the the ferry from Nova Scotia. And they're waiting for someone to come off this ferry. It turns out it's like a terrorist, but you don't realize till at the end that it's a domestic terrorist, a guy who blew up a... Planned Parenthood and kill two doctors. Uh -huh. oh. And I always wanted for the two cops um, for to be Phil and Steve Buscemi. Oh, oh. that would have been great. Damn, um, another great actor and was part of that uh, mm -hmm. no wave yeah. cinema of the. Yeah. which I definitely do want to discuss. Yeah. So. And, you know, I wrote a couple drafts of it, and I, I think I got to a point where I was pretty satisfied, because a lot of it is just like two guys sitting all night in a van, mm -hmm. and what are they going to talk about? 
it's just like a lot of dialogue. There's a, some flashbacks and stuff like that, but oh. it's basically you have to be able to milk how boring a night is to just sit waiting for something to happen. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, I told Phil about it once, and I said, you know, I have this idea, you know, it's, it can be shot in like two weeks, it wouldn't break into your schedule that much, uh, you know, it's up in Maine, he was like, yeah, tell me more about it, you know, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, so, he goes, and he's sort of like vibing out a little bit, and I'm going, what, he goes, which guy do I play? <laughs> And I go, well, I don't know. I mean, you could play the the main cop, who's like a local guy. You know, he's got like marital issues and, mm-hmm. you know, financial issues and stuff like that. Or you could play the, the FBI guy who's basically got, you know, career issues. Like this, this what he's doing tonight is against what everybody wants him to do. Mm-hmm. He's off the grid. He's off the radar. He's doing it on his own. And this could either make his career or completely destroy his career. And he's a gambler. Oh. Wow. So which one do you want to do? He was like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do both. You know? <laughs> you know? Uh, I said, oh, you mean like a Peter Sellers? Yeah. <laughs> that's as far as we got oh, but I always thought you know Buscemi and him would be great yeah they, I think the only time they colla- and they weren't in a scene together was in The Big Lebowski oh right, right yeah they're right. both in it but like but no they definitely didn't share a scene, scene and I think that's the only sucks. as I recall that's what, the only was Phil in there? yeah he yeah. plays the assistant to he plays <laughs> when we did the episode the guest I had it was a, a friend of mine who does mm-hmm. the artwork for our podcast and uh-huh. he loves the character of uh, is it Brant, right? Yeah, yeah, Brant. So he's the assistant to the Lebowski that Jeff Bridges, the dude. Oh, right. Uh, so he just has that right, great, right, 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 right. You know, like t- <laughs> like tight ass, nervous, like you know. Mm-hmm. There's a great scene between him, uh, oh, Jeff oh, right. Bridges, and Tara Reid. Right, 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 right. And so, yeah, again, Steve Buscemi, he was just always in like the bowling alley scene, bowling so they mm-hmm. didn't share a scene together, right. but right. so right. at least uh, yeah. something. <laughs> um, so. You brought up uh, Buscemi and the no wave thing. Mm-hmm. You mind if we ask you some questions about no. that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you turned us on to a really great documentary called Blank City. Uh, yeah, that no was way. one of the first things you right. sent, sent to us, and to give us an idea of what. Right. Yeah, this is something I was like looking for for a while because I, I think I even I say it on the on the uh, podcast for. Um, I guess I must have been for Triple Bogey. It's just something that I I, mm. I wanted a documentary to exist like this because I was mm-hmm. so curious about this time period. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean it didn't disappoint. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, she did a good job. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. What's her name again? Uh, Celine Denier. Yeah, sorry, Celine Denier. Yeah, it's a, mm-hmm. we totally recommend it again. It's uh, Blank City. Yeah, I rented it on Amazon. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you can watch it that way. And it did, like you said, like to give us an idea of what it was like. Again, I I didn't know much of the no wave like the what was going on as far the mm-hmm. filmmaking. I am a fan of the music of of mm-hmm. that time, so it was really great. Because then right. going into Blank Generation, which was your first, well, it was, was it was my first sort of film that people saw. 
Yeah, and that's just great some because people. you had you have so much footage of, I mean, some of the most like notable names of music of that time from mm-hmm. David Bowie, right? To or... well, Bowie was more in Night Lunch, which was this little film made before with Roxy Music, and mm-hmm. that led into. I mean, I was just a big music fan, whatever, yeah. and all my early films were sort of like music related. But then I used to hang out at CBGB's in the early days, you know, 74 to 77. And uh, so I would just, you know, I had a Bolex or Canon camera and just shot footage of people. And we put it together, Ivan and I, um, Ivan Kral, who was the, you know, guitarist, bass player in Patti Smith band. We put it together, um, you know, so it had Patti Smith and Television, Talking Heads, and Blondie, and Ramones. Yeah. I have a Blondie I mean. sticker on my van. <laughs> <laughs> and and you, you worked more uh, with Debbie Harry, right? Oh, yeah. Debbie was in um, um, Unmade Beds in The Foreigner. I and mean, that, that that's it's amazing. I've seen, like, the clips, and just, like, uh, I don't know, I'm just very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, Debbie's great. All really lucky I'm to work with her. Yeah, I briefly got to meet her. I uh, last year she was at the Women in Music for the Billboard Awards because mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I briefly said, "Yeah, I freelance," and so I was just working that event mm-hmm. right by like South Street Seaport. Right. Everyone, Madonna was there. She gave her big speech. That was a uh-huh. like, big speech last year. Uh-huh. Everyone was like focused on Madonna. I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> Debbie Harry's well, right there. <laughs> you know, Debbie was like, you know, before. But, you know, enduring, whatever. Um, yeah, no, Debbie is, like, amazing. Debbie's has her own form of genius to her. That's so cool. I think <laughs> just what's great about also this time, and it's, you know, it's it's brought up a lot in, um, in Blank City, is just how much from filmmakers were also playing instruments mm-hmm. to uh, then musicians were acting. Like, yeah, so like we see the like music Debbie, is so... Debbie Harry, we've mm-hmm. seen Bowie went on and had a career, mm-hmm. and, you know, like a handful of, you know, some yeah. fantastic performances. Yeah. Um, well, Bowie always insisted he was an actor playing a rock and roller. I mean, definitely works if for If you his... look at his interview with uh, Dick Cavett, it's yeah. really an interesting. Oh, I've seen that. That's good. You know, I'm a cool yeah. Dick Cavett fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a Dick Cabot groupie, almost. What? I would go to the tapings. Oh, man. Really? That's so cool. <laughs> That's awesome. For like two and a half years, I went to every taping. Wow. That's incredible. I saw a lot of interesting people being interviewed. That's yeah. so cool. Um, what's uh, This is like a really corny, nerdy question, but I have to ask. Mm-hmm. Like, Was CBGB as cool as we know it today, like being in that scene? Or, or did, you, did you have any idea of like the um, that we would be talking about it today? Or... Uh, n- I don't think I was thinking about the future. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> In fact, the, the whole thing was no future. But, um... She just no, has such a uh, mythical uh, status today. Yeah. Well, you know... Um, you definitely felt that there was something happening. Um... And it was... You know, because it was happening every night. It mm. wasn't just yeah. like once in a while. That's so cool. So, you know, you can have like Talking Heads on 
double bill with the Ramones, and next night, Patty oh <laughs> Smith with television, and uh, you know Wayne County with you know New York Dolls, and Jeez. you know it was just like. <laughs> yeah. So that number of people that were that creative, that primarily their focus was on some version or some idea of actually art or changing something or doing something like outside the envelope without the complete awareness that they, uh, you know, knew what they were doing. You know, so it was like incredibly, I think, inventive. And you could put your focus on it like, you know, 24-7. Like New York at that time, you didn't need a lot of money to live here. Yeah. Which is there's, you yeah, could so get <laughs> plenty of people setting that in Blank City of mm-hmm. how they would, you just walk into a building and find a room and then hopefully find the landlord to be like, oh, can I, you know, I'm, I'm living here right now. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, yeah, or, you know, like in, in looking at The Foreigner, the film that I made with Eric and Duncan and Debbie, like we shot that in like, you know, I don't know, 11 days, you know, for $5,000. And we had like, or the subway riders, you know, there were shootouts in the street. We had prop guns with, you know, we had no permits. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> you know, we we did car chases That's throughout <laughs> NoHo. You know, like riding a car on the sidewalk, chasing <laughs> him around. That's crazy. And <sighs> didn't have any permits or knew what That's we so were crazy. doing. We just, let's get the camera on the car. Yeah. You, you sit on the car and... You know, well, I'm going to slide off. Well, we'll we'll duct tape you to the car. <laughs> so that was our camera mount, was yeah, duct taping the, the cinematographer to the, <laughs> of the car. Yeah, I forget for what film, but I think I saw like a, I think they might have shown it in the documentary. I, I don't recall, but like I saw the camera mounted on the hood of the car, like mm-hmm. just on a piece of plywood and then like, right. like totally. We did shit, we, the, you know. I mean, it's just like the almost the ultimate form of like guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah, but like I remember, <laughs> the end of the Foreigner. There's a scene with Eric Mitchell, and he's running towards the Statue of Liberty, mm-hmm. and we had these two killers with guns come out from behind the monuments and shoot him, and we only had we could only do one take because mm-hmm. oh, wow. we only had one shirt and one suit, and I wanted the blood to explode out of his back okay so somebody said well you need to get a guy who can do squibs yeah and I couldn't afford a guy who can do squibs I said what are squibs (laughs) they said well they're these things you know they have gunpowder and this wire comes down the sleeve and there's a trigger on on each finger there's four bullets and the detonator is the thumb so the actor detonates mm. goes one two three four and it'll explode and oh here here's a here's a little brochure about it 
So looking at the brochure, and we go, well, I can make this. I don't need an expert. <laughs> what? So I said, Eric, okay, we're gonna we're gonna wire you up now. So you know, we do the whole thing. Eric is ready. The camera's ready. We got one take. He's got a. We got a zoom. We got a, you know, cameras like on a tripod. He's gonna run. We rehearse a couple of times. There is the railing. You end up on the railing like that, like crucified. Mm-hmm. All right. So Eric runs. Boom, 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 boom. And you see these splotches on his shirt. He's like, runs. He lands there, and he's like hanging there. Now, the only thing we forgot to do is when they say you, when you put the squibs on, yeah, you got to put a rubber pad and a and a little pad so that when it explodes, it doesn't like actually it. explode against your skin. There, there's a block. God, yeah, I forgot that. <laughs> what? So I forgot that. Jeez. I'm so hoping it was just like really big bruises, or was it no scars? So, oh, no. <laughs> so Eric, Eric, Eric is lying there, and he, thank God Eric is so great. He goes, and we're shooting, and I see that there's a sailboat coming, and it's going to be so great because it's the end of the movie. It would be so great if I can get that sailboat to go across the screen. Mm-hmm. So Eric is there, and he goes, starts screaming, when are you going to cut? I go, just stay there. I'm waiting for the sailboat. He's like, my skin is burning. And we look, and actually, it caught fire to his shirt. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I go, it's okay, Eric. He goes, no, it's not. Yeah, it's okay. Just give me a couple more minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and we go on, and, of course, as soon as the boat, in fact, it was even a second before the boat got out of shot, we threw it buckets of water on him Jeez. but wow. you can see it in the film you could see the smoke wow oh, man. he's smoking we gotta, we gotta watch this together. yeah <laughs> he's That's... hanging there and he's and there's smoke coming out of his back oh my goodness that is, that is... <laughs> now that's you know that's the level of commitment I mean, that's... Gotta put that on the IMDb trivia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's... Well, there's also an earlier scene with the, with the, with the cramps uh-huh. where they accost him at CBGB's and they throw him down a flight of stairs and he's in the bathroom. He's wiping his face and they come after him. And I didn't know what they were doing. Like, they had re- talked about it, but they didn't oh. tell me. Mm-hmm. So I'm behind the camera and uh, Lux Interior used to do this thing on stage where he had a a blade that he had sharpened so much that he could cut himself without hurting. Oh, yeah. So that he would bleed on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're jumping on Eric in the bathroom of the CBGBs. I'm behind the camera, and I see this knife come out. I go, whoa, what are you doing? And they're just at it, punching him and... You know, and holding him down, and then they're going to slit his chest. And I'm, like, trying to stop him. Luckily, 
the DP didn't turn the camera off. Yeah. Because I'm going, cut, cut, cut. Oh, man. And they didn't cut. Wow. It's wow. all one take. That's, and they that's cut amazing. Them. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So they had all discussed that. just didn't They had discussed it, but I didn't know about it. So I didn't know that you <laughs> could cut every, someone yeah. without hurting them. Every director's dream. To all of a sudden see their cast wow. a knife. And, yeah. Okay. Wow. That's incredible. That's, yeah. Um, so in, in the documentary, it, it mentioned that, uh, like, the, and this is something I loved, and I hope it's true, mm-hmm. that the, you know, you would direct one movie, and then somebody else might direct another, that you might help this person on their movie, mm-hmm. and they might help their person on yeah, that movie. Yeah, it just movie. seemed like a real community. Yeah, that's a good word for well, it. Well. Is that overplayed, or is that something? Yeah, that's that, a little overplayed. I, I mean, sure. there were definitely clicks. Sure. Mm, that makes sense. Um, and there was also a lot of competition and ambition. Mm-hmm. So... You might help someone, but you may not help the other person. You gotcha. know, it wasn't like, yeah. like a big, yeah, it wasn't like you know, a commune or something. Gotcha. That I mean, that's, I was curious about that. Now, going from you know, people, I feel like, because you know, that truly is like that was independent filmmaking, and mm-hmm. uh, that word is just so easily thrown around these days mm-hmm. for multi-million-dollar movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like Tarantino is still considered an independent filmmaker, right. but <laughs> what? From, you know, and again, we keep referring to this documentary, but like at one point, I forget who it was, it said that they had to steal film because film was so expensive. Mm-hmm. And like you said, I mean, at least the cost of living in the mm-hmm. city at that point was low. But what do you, uh, you know, because today with, I mean, you could shoot a whole movie, which there right, had been iPhone. on a cell phone, on an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think are some like pros from like your generation, that era of filmmaking to like pros and cons versus today? Because then mm. it just seems like, the equipment and obviously digital, you could just mm-hmm. keep shooting, so you don't have mm-hmm. that film cost. But then it just seems like people want like a higher, almost like production value, or they want. I don't know. It just seems like you have to still have like a bigger mm-hmm. budget. You- well, that's a much broader question, but I think it's wholly two different things. You know, filmmaking and digital. You know moving image making mm-hmm. the language of it is different the possibilities are different um, uh, I mean I I come from you know that old world yeah and I and I loved it um, in a lot of ways mm-hmm. but you know the easiness of doing this way in a sense and the platforms and stuff it's a whole it's a whole different thing even like I mean for me uh, I still like frames okay but you don't have frames digitally you you ascribe the language of frames but there's no actual frames mm-hmm. now is that good or bad I don't you know it's it's just two different animals it's like you know, photography versus Photoshop. Yeah, mm, that's true. You know, yeah, Photoshop can, can you can reinvent a lot of things that you couldn't do. Um, you know, do you like Diane Arbus, or you know, someone t- today who can change everything in an image and make it completely abstract? Um, they're very different. Had you ever shot anything on? 
digital? digital? Yeah. yeah, no, I love oh, digital. That's, okay. that's you know, I started teaching in 1999 basically because I had this feeling, you know, that, you know, the whole, you know, the, f the filmmaking was a 20th century phenomenon. Start at tenor, turn of the century around there, and would end at the end of the 20th century, and that I ha better learn all this digital stuff. Sure. Uh, if I want to make images move. There definitely is. I mean, as far as like mainstream cinema, like a resurgence nowadays. We're seeing. Well, P for instance, again, a name we've said on the podcast, P.T. Anderson always stuck to film, but you've seen directors like Martin Scorsese went to you know have have started using digital i mm -hmm. mean tarantino's also a big person you know film pr preservation mm -hmm. but i mean there's definitely as far as if you're young and you just you know are going to college there's no doubt that like it's just to be able to take mm -hmm. a digital camera right if you just want to start creating i mean i have still a problem with color versus black and white i'm <laughs> okay. still a black yeah. and white guy but i mean there are some stories in my head that are color mm -hmm. but most of them are black and white wow wow that's pretty cool uh, i just imagine things in black and white i don't know why but it feels right to me well there's just yeah there just is that I th natural beauty i feel from it as well when you're watching a black and white well, i just think that reality is, is in color and i think films should be black and white oh that's a it's an abstract I like that. form that's an interesting yeah. take i like i think about that one you know it's uh you know, nature is in color, but to me, film needs to be black and white. Hmm. I, I mean, I wouldn't say I, there are no color films that I love. I mean, there are many, mm -hmm. but there's certainly more that I, in, in black and white that yeah. I'm keen on. So you're happy when you see like an Alexander Payne, Nebraska? Have you, have you seen that film? Yeah. yeah. <coughs> Yeah, or, you know, other films that are in black and white. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of interesting when you're doing digital in black and white because generally you're shooting it in color yeah. and then post in what black and white, mm -hmm. which is a little different. Although there's a handful of monochromatic digital cameras that will shoot in black and white. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Of course, Triple Bogey is in black and white for the most part. Yeah, yeah. well, that was the 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 play with black and white and color yeah. like where i think you know memories are colorful whereas real you know today is black and white to me yeah and it also i mean so you said that footage the super 8 footage from mm -hmm. triple bogey is your family right your mm -hmm. kids yeah so it's almost in a way even like in a metal way that is that was real to mm -hmm. you not that yeah not that we as viewers yeah like home that. movies like yeah. old home mm -hmm. movies are they're in color yeah they're so grainy and yeah. choppy and over, you know, blown or underblown or, you know, something is so texturized, which in that context made sense. Yeah. Um, you know, visual sense. Uh, do your children appreciate your films and stuff? Um, I always like to ask people that. I think as they get older, yeah. Cool. You know, and they're grown up now and, uh, not so much when they were younger. Gotcha. I mean, you, you certainly left a legacy, because even just from watching Blank City, almost every one of those filmmakers cited meeting you as, like, an important... Uh, well, that was my thing, see. 
I I wasn't trained as a filmmaker, and I never thought of myself particularly as a director. I mean, I wanted to be a filmmaker, and I was a filmmaker, gotcha. but not a director. And I'd met, you know, actually on Dick Cavett's show, uh, uh, Orson Welles, who was like a hero wow. of wow. mine. Yeah, one of the most notorious filmmakers. And uh, it was right before I did uh, Unmade Beds. And I remember going up to him, you know, and getting sort of the... I was a little scared. And just Imagine. saying to him... Uh, and a friend of mine who was working on the show introduced... He said, oh, this is a friend of mine. He's in the audience. He's a budding filmmaker. And, and Wells was smoking a cigar. And I was like... <laughs> that big and yeah. he's like looking at me and oh my like, god oh, oh. I said well Mr. Wells uh, is there any advice you can give me and he goes yeah kid make your first film like it's your last and your last film like it's your first wow oh my god that's so cool I want a t-shirt that says that so so I walked away powerful and I you know I'm like taking that you know playing that over and over in my head like what does that mean what does that mean what does that mean and then I went yeah right you fucker your first film was, was Citizen Kane of course <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even connect that wow <laughs> you know thanks <laughs> but I you know in being like a Wells you know sort of aficionado or, or fan or whatever was that I knew I had to make my first film when I was 26. Yeah. Like, before I turned 27. And that's why I made Unmade Beds. Mm -hmm. But, I also knew that a film that cost, like, $3,000 at the time probably would have no effect, no, no audience in the United States or New York even, or... You know, maybe my friends would watch it. Mm -hmm. You know, it'd be like 30 people. So I was making a film for 30 people. And I thought, well, that's kind of upsetting. Yeah. But and then I thought, well, if I'm going to make this film, and not many people are going to see it, and I don't even know how to make a film, to tell you the truth. I don't have no... I mean, I, I made shorts, I made music videos, but I didn't know how to make a feature film. So my craziness, my the insanity of what I was doing was, I thought, well, maybe I can start a novel vogue in New York. Sort of what the French filmmakers did in Paris. Mm -hmm. And since I was so also... Uh, enamored of the French Novel Vogue films, I thought I would make a French Novel Vogue film in New York. And if I did that, then all these friends of mine who talk to me about films all the time, maybe they would make films too. And if we all made films, eventually we couldn't, as a group yeah. from the same neighborhood, we could have an effect on the culture. Wow. wow. But one film wouldn't have an effect. No. But no, multiple but films maybe would have an effect. And it definitely did. I mean, it's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was the ambition, not to make a film per se. But to start. But to make a film 
movement. Mm -hmm. So the first three films were really about that. It wasn't until Alphabet City that I actually thought I could make a movie. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I have to tell you, like, that definitely, you know, like, I would still, I would love to make films and watching that documentary and hearing you talk and just all the filmmakers from then just made me feel like a lazy piece of shit. <laughs> no, it's just, it was just a different time, you know, like you can't it's go back. Certainly no, it's just really, I, I, but honestly though, then the next, after I watched it, and I, re, re, I, I watched it when you recommended it mm -hmm. and then I rewatched it mm -hmm. before coming to uh, talk to you and I went out last weekend with you know I have mm -hmm. a Canon C100 and I, like I, t I told you I live in Hoboken I just went mm -hmm. down to the water mm -hmm. and I actually shot some boats so there you <laughs> go it's just like yeah like or you go to your favorite club and just yeah go with the camera make it a thing to go there like three times a week or something yeah and see what happens. The big wow, thing that planted a seed in my head, I'm mm -hmm. like, ooh, I want to find like a band, like a you know indie mm -hmm. band that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. I would love to talk with them, mm -hmm. and just because again, like there is something like if you're if you're mm -hmm. an artist, whether you are a writer, an actor, mm -hmm. director, or sculptor, I feel like there is a translation to all the different forms of art, and that mm -hmm. they have a presence on camera. So I would love to find like going back to like your earlier works and just have just mm -hmm. like make like a film them almost like a documentary but turn it into something narrative because i think that would just be well it finds you yeah. too once you have the you know because i would just go with my camera everywhere that's awesome it doesn't mean i always film because it was expensive but when i went out at night to cbgb's or maxis or one of the other joints you know i just bring it and if the, and if the band really piqued me in some way you know I just shoot it. Yeah, you, you know. have to be a little more selective when you're using film. <laughs> I yeah, I had to push it two stops. You know, mm -hmm. I had to like bring a clamp light and put it on somebody's shoulder and yeah. hold it. You know, move <laughs> it that about way. these things. You know, you know that kind of thing. I mean, you also certainly have an eye for, I mean, musical talent and acting talent. I mean, like you know, for Philip Seymour Hoffman's first film, and I think mm -hmm. you mentioned in an email to us. You Macaulay Culkin's mm -hmm. first film was was that the um, so Rocket Gibraltar yeah Rocket Gibraltar's you, you his first wrote, film you wrote that yeah and so yeah. that was because we recognize or I, I recognized the uh, actress that was then in Home Alone she was yes in Angela yeah Goldfuss. yeah she was great and then you said that how that was Macaulay yeah. Culkin's first role so that's yeah Macaulay's first Kevin Spacey's that was also Kevin Spacey's mm -hmm. first wow. wow I know he was in I didn't know it was I know first, yeah exactly yeah. I know we were reading through the cast the other day. Yeah. And that's just and a great ensemble. Yeah, yeah. And Susie Amos was represented by Davian Littlefield, who represented Phil. Um, wow. wow. Um, uh, and she's now married to James Cameron. Oh, wow. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> Susie, yeah. And um, at the time, she was married to Sam Robards, Jason Robards, and uh, Lauren Jeez. Bacall's son. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> and uh, Bill Pullman. Bill Pullman. Was yeah. Uh, that too. And uh, Patricia Clarkson, Patty Clarkson. Yeah. yeah. Patricia Clarkson. First film, I think, as well. Wow. At that, like, uh, you mean? It was a great cast. Yeah. Definitely. I just wrote a book about that experience. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, but it's, yeah. Uh, and I wrote it in the form of a screenplay, about a, sc a screenplay, and it's about what happened on that film. 
Oh, that's awesome. Whole, it's, it's really funny. Is if it? you want, I'll send it to you. It's, yeah, you please might, do. You guys, please you do. guys might get a kick out of it. I when, so it's think been, definitely. It's been, it's been published? No, no, no. Oh. I'm, I'm looking for a, a publisher now. Okay. Definitely send that to us. Cause but uh, I think you guys would get a kick of it. And there's a, yeah. it's a script about a script, so it's like a meta. Yeah. I'm yeah, that's, that's, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and, um, it, and it's called A Screenplay. <laughs> and um, you guys who are, you know, any film person would would probably get a kick out of it. and there's a postscript <laughs> to the script that's about a script <laughs> and it's called uh 237 films you must watch before you die with a caveat only one per director oh oh okay that's awesome yeah yeah so which which gives you like which billy wilder which scorsese which yeah, yeah, Coppola, yeah, that's... which Woody Allen certainly yeah. certainly a topic of conversation between friends there. Yeah. Oh yeah. A nice little no, that's dinner different. time debates. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's a, that's, a, that's a podcast of its own. <laughs> yeah, it really a podcast is. Of, because it it brings up like, you know, what's your you know, why that film, not that film, which is a weird God, it's going through my head now. With, uh, I just have to ask, with your just extensive knowledge and just your I mean, pardon film history, have you ever considered doing a podcast or anything like that? I mean you t- like well, the, I feel like there's just so much you could, everyone could benefit from hearing your stories. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I mean, I think of it. Yeah, probably a podcast or some kind of memoir thing or something. I don't know. Yeah. But podcast is really cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. I'm not sure. I mean, primarily, I'm still. You know. I guess probably visually focused but yeah no I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, if I could, could say anything about Phil that is worthwhile yeah this was um, absolutely absolutely we were just so ecstatic back when you first got when you got back to us mm-hmm. and now being here and talking with you it's been such a treat hearing all those stories um I just, the last question I had, and you, I mean, you went into mm-hmm. it that Orson Welles gave you <laughs> advice. Mm-hmm. I just, the last question I wrote down was just like, do you have any advice for young filmmakers? Or are you just going to, I mean. Um, yeah, you just got to keep making films. Whatever, you know, it could be on Super 8, it could be on your Android or iPhone or whatever. You just just make, make stuff. Just keep making stuff. Yeah. Um, and put it on your YouTube channel or podcast or Tumblr or whatever, you know. Because mm-hmm. um, there's so many platforms now. I don't know about you, Kyle, but I'm like ready to go re- finish my screenplay tonight. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, I'm just, there's, I'm just, yeah. Well, okay. yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, yeah, there's something I need to finish too. We'll get to, we'll get to that. Yeah, well, <laughs> screenwriting is definitely a, a, a you know, a skill or whatever, um, but you know, or, but you know, even if you don't write a script, if you just write a, you know, outline or yeah, an outline yeah. or a laundry list, yeah, <laughs> of shots, you know, just a shot list. Yeah, as far as my that, yeah. that sometimes is even better because you then are dealing with the visual rather than dialogue. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're you're the visual guy, Kyle. Yeah. I'm I mean, the dialogue guy. Brian and I have known one another since <laughs> high school and we've mm-hmm. collaborated on stuff, but okay. it's just... Uh, well, that's great. Yeah, no, so he's like, always been like, I just love... That's why we started a podcast and then we mm-hmm. were just, you know, our friend did Nick Cage and we were mm-hmm. like, oh, we'll do an actor and then, mm-hmm. uh, and then it just became, you know... Phil was just like such an obvious choice for us, mm-hmm. but I mean that was always the big thing with us is that we just love talking movies and mm-hmm. and then just he's definitely he's the words and I'm like the visual. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but we appreciate both. Uh, yeah. Well, it'd be interesting once because unfortunately Phil is deceased. Mm-hmm. There's only so many Phil Hoffman films that yes. are going to be around, but once you get through the Phil Hoffman films, you could maybe do a. Three degrees of separation of Phil Hoffman. That would be, I like that. It's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. <laughs> and see the tentacles. <laughs> yeah, I mean we're already seeing them. That's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like uh, uh, you know. So what's the degree of separation? Oh well, so and so worked as a hmm, on that film. Then he became a director and made that film work. You know, a spinoff. A spinoff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Amos Poe, where can people find you, if you want to be found at all, I don't know, but uh, where can people uh, see your work or just keep tabs on you, and, and do you have anything you're working on now? Or Yeah, I'm, work, I'm working on uh, trying to make a film about uh, a friend of mine, a French actor named Jean-Pierre Leo, mm-hmm. who was, you know, the kid in 400 Blows, oh, okay. Truffaut film, and ended up doing films with six films with Truffaut, eight films with Godard, wow. Octo, Pasolini, Bertolucci, Aki Kurosmaki. He's, uh, he's made about 50 some odd films. And I'm trying to make a film about him and a book about him that's sort of like the Hitchcock Truffaut book, mm-hmm. something like that. So that, that's one of the things I'm working on. Wow, great. sounds great. Mm-hmm. So I, I know you have a website. I have a website. I mean, I, I'm I'm not on Facebook uh, currently. Um, I I haven't done tw- Twitter, or Instagram yet. I am on Tumblr. Okay. Um, and I kind of that's sort of like my little, you know, channel for stuff. But, um, yeah, no, I'm just trying to figure out what the next film is, like anybody else. Awesome. Well, if you need help, let me know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, thank you yeah. very much. <laughs> definitely thank let you, us know, you. too, if you have any screenings of your films that come up. We'd yeah, love, again, we'd love to give a shout-out on the yeah. podcast and definitely attend ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I will, I will let you guys know for sure. Um, yeah, I may, be, I may be working with, I'm not sure yet, um... With that Roxy Cinema downtown, okay, uh, programming some stuff there or something. Awesome, awesome. yeah, definitely. Drop mm-hmm. us a line. Let us. I mean, we'll be tr- trying mm-hmm. our best to follow you as well. Yeah. Oh, cool. And so everyone out there, watch these films. They're really mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen all of them, admittedly, mm-hmm. but I, we need to. We do need to catch up on our Amos Poe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, well, cool. Definitely Alphabet City. Obviously, Triple Bogey. The Foreigner. I can't wait to watch yeah. that for the mm-hmm. see what the stories that you're. Yeah, no, no, we got to see before. The Foreigner again. Um, 
probably hard to see Joey Breaker, but track it down. Yeah, we'll lend mm-hmm. everyone the VHS. <laughs> right. Oh, you got a VHS. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, sc- a screening copy. Screening copy <laughs> yeah. Down, yeah. I've been after Steve to try to get that out, but he's, uh, I don't know, he's thinking about other stuff, I guess. Wow. But that would be good for him to get out. Definitely. I mean, obviously what brought us to Joey Breaker was Philip Zimmer Hoffman. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, something that I think people would appreciate seeing because there's, I mean, we've talked to, no one we know has seen his full catalog, like, at least him, obviously, mm-hmm. and his friends, but in terms of just fans. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. people would really like to, at, just for that very reason, I mean, right. see the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, Definitely. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you again for this amazing opportunity. I, I know all our Hoff fans really appreciate it. And there's, uh, oh, some, well, not in the earlier episodes, but we now end the episodes. If if you wouldn't mind, there's a Phil was in the movie Almost Famous, mm-hmm. and his and he's got a line in it. There's just like you know we're always uncool, so we now end the episode. And we ask our guests to just let the Hoff fans know to stay uncool. So if you don't mind, so stay uncool. Yeah. All right. Stay on cool. Thanks so much. That just made my fit. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks so much for listening, guys. That was awesome. Yeah. Can't tell you how psyched I was for that interview or just conversation to happen. I don't know. The the film nerd came out in us. Or the music nerd or whatever. I don't know. It's everything. Yeah. Such a good guy. Like, such a cool, cool guy, you know? Definitely. So what do we got next week, Kyle? Guys, next week we've got the film Owning Mahoney. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you like, follow, subscribe, tell your friends. Definitely spread the word from this interview because we think, I mean, Amos Poe had so much to say and I, we could have probably talked with him for hours. Oh, definitely. I could have spent the whole day just like talking, just, just every everything about filmmaking with him. So he said it already, but we'll say it again, I guess, just to properly end things. Yeah, because especially uh, after talking with him, I, def- I feel, un- well, I feel cool, but I feel uncool <laughs> I don't know. know I don't know he's a cool dude <laughs> but yeah hey stay uncool off fans stay uncool thanks very much guys Sexy things, sexy things you